All right, flip your bulletins back over. Man, I'm really excited about this series we're going to start today, Make the Church Great Again. And, and the reason I am, obviously, I'm passionate about the, the, the church. That's just where I land. Like, if, if I'm going to talk about things with you, at some point, we're going to end up talking about the power and the effectiveness of the church. But here's the thing about uh, culture right now. There's a bunch of articles, uh, and maybe very fitting, that says church is dying. Like the, the church is becoming irrelevant, the, the church is not as powerful as it used to be, half the churches in America or something like that have less than 75 people in them, I'm not sure how many thousands of churches close every year, but culture is telling us, man, church is becoming ir- irrelevant, and, and even there's voices inside the church that say church is, is dying. There's people that say stuff like the church is dying because it's changing, right? Like the church is dying. Usually those are the people that are over the age of, of 45. The same conversation happened when they were kids with their parents, right? When they started doing different things. And so, for instance, about 25 or 30 years ago, churches started putting the, the words of their songs on screens on, on, on screens on an overhead projector. You guys remember that? That was hip right there. And started doing that. And there was older people that said stuff like, that is, that's hell right there. Like that is a section of hell for you to put the words of songs on the screen when we have perfectly good hymnals in the back of our things. Flash forward 25 years in advance now that it's 2016 and the people that were starters of the, of the, the overhead projector are now saying stuff like the church is, is becoming uh, a dead in it because it's changing. Here's how it's changing. Now they're putting the words on, on screens and it's a rock concert and they have, they have lights and they have all this stuff and then 25 years from now my kids are going to be going, you guys are dorks. The whole time the world's going, what is wrong with the church? Now, some people say the church is, is dying because it won't change, right? Some people say it's changing so it's dying. Some people say it won't change. Some people say the church is dying because numbers are down. They think that the, the success of a church is in the, in the crowd. What I found is, is you can attract a crowd not build a church. I can, listen, next week and the week after and the week after, we can start attracting a bigger crowd anytime we wanted to. All we got to do is give away free haircuts, free jet skis, free Eagles tickets, free kids. Like, if you want my third kid, I'll give you my third kid. Pick one. In fact, you can, listen, you have all three of them for a week. We'll give you my, I'll give you this, free cats, cat blessing. I don't know why churches do that. Like, free this, like, free anything, and you come. And what I found is you can, you can draw a crowd without building a church, right? The church is dying. The church is dying because the U.S. is pushing God out of the church, pushing God out of the country. If the U.S. would be morally better and not be morally bankrupt, then God would still be here because because we are in control of what God does, right? And so we are literally pushing the Alpha and the Omega, the, the, the God who is and was and never will not be out of something. Like, we actually have the power to do that. We have the power to tell God what to do. Some people will say stuff like, the church is dying because people are getting smarter. Like, science is, is evolving, we're making all these new, uh, 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 finding out all these new things about life, and we're, we're evolving, and we're healthier, and we're, and we're fuller, and we're more complete. And so people, they needed God back then, but we don't really need God anymore because now we're complete. And so all those things, with all those things that are being said, I come back to it and I go, well, it, is it true? Like, do we, do we not need God anymore? Is that why church is not that, that important? Can you live a, a happy, complete life without a, a God? Can you, can, you, can you have a happy marriage? Can you have healthy kids? Can you, can, you, can you be successful on this earth, really be successful on this earth without a relationship with the Creator? And, and, the, and some people would say, yes, you can. Look at all these, these examples. But I would go, well, if I really dig down deep into it, 
We're smarter than we've ever been, like literally. We, you have more, more power in your, your phone than whole countries had hundreds of years ago. You can look up anything. Like you, before I came up here, I was like, what the heck does Yahweh mean, right? I got to figure out what Yahweh means. Like I know, I know we're singing it, but I didn't know what it means. So I come on, let's get my Google. Google, what does Yahweh mean? I'm not lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Oh, that's what it means. Oh, let me go up there and talk about that. Let me also find out what the weather is in Bangladesh, right? And what they're wearing. Like we have infinite power in our hands. And the question becomes, with all that power, are we becoming more complete? Are we becoming more satisfied? So I did a little digging, and, and, and I found out that, that even though we have all this, and even though people say we're smarter than we've ever been, uh, addiction to drug is, is, at a, is, is at a higher rate than it's ever been. Ever. Every day on my feet, somebody is overdosing from something. The most popular picture on my newsfeed for the last few days has been a couple Somewhere in this country, I believe it was Ohio, who overdosed on heroin as their toddler was sitting in the back seat. You guys seen it? We don't need God, though. I started studying marriages and per- like we are, we are more obsessed with ourselves than we've ever been, yet anxiety and worry has never been higher. More people than ever take a pill of some sort just to, just to make it through the day, yet we would argue we're happier than we've ever been. If you're so happy, then why do you need to take a pill to make you happy? If you, if you have it so figured out, why can't we figure out this? Like People will say, they will hijack the word love. God is not love. We know what love is. Love is this and love is that. Yet we are less in love and our relationships are more broken than they've ever been. So, so I land on, well, maybe the church isn't dying because it's not needed anymore. Maybe the church isn't dying because it's useless. Maybe the church is dying because the very people who were supposed to take the message of the church to this world have forgotten why they exist. Like, like maybe we forgot. Like, I am not of the belief that in the next 10 years the church is going to die. In fact, what I believe and what is true of biblical history, of church history, is anytime the church is pressed and persecuted, anytime culture changes away from moderate Christianity to maybe forcing people, I'm in or I'm out, that when that happens, when the church gets pressed, when the church gets persecuted, that the church actually flourishes. That the exact opposite of what many middle-aged Americans are saying is going to happen, they're pushing God out of the country, is, is maybe the, I believe, the exact opposite is going to happen. Why? Because people are going to get everything they think they need, and they're still going to hit rock bottom, and guess who's still going to be standing here? The church. If we don't waver, if we don't get scared, if we don't run, if we don't forget if we don't get our eyes fixed on the wrong thing. In fact, Jesus says it in the book of Matthew 16. I want you to clearly see this. As, this is going to guide the rest of our, of our series. In Matthew 16, verse number 18, he's having a conversation with his disciples, very specifically Peter. I love Peter. Some people are, are uh, like Peter and John, they're, they're kind of the main apostles, disciples, right? There's other ones. Uh, but Peter and John talk a lot about Peter and John. And, and, and a lot of people are John people, right? John is, is sensitive. He calls himself, he refers to himself in first person as the disciple whom Jesus loves. I mean, you are, you are one sensitive man if you say that about yourself. This dude loves me, right? Like, I don't know. Listen, I love Jesus, but I don't know that I'm describing myself like that. And some of you, you're like, oh, I love that about him. Like, that's so, that's so cute. Even God's like, that's so sweet that he says that. I'm, not, I'm like, that's, that's, that's not right. Like, that's not, I get it, John. But when I get to heaven, I don't know that me and you are going to be playing in the same, the same soccer team. And so, like, but over here, Peter is like, I like a Peter. Like, Peter 
is completely jacked up. Like he, he is one of the most knuckleheaded men in the Bible. And, and I think it's funny when the, when the Catholic Church builds their church as his, him being the first pope in, because it just shows you how screwed up they really are. And so anyway, because he, he literally, he was so screwed up. I love him. Like he, Jesus, Jesus he, he, they come to get Jesus, he cuts the dude's ear off. Jesus is like, what are you doing? Like I told you we're not going to live and die by the sword. You just cut the dude's ear off. A couple minutes later, he's denying Jesus after he insisted, I'm never going to deny you. Like, like he, 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 was, he was a messed up dude. In fact, after Jesus dies on the cross, he goes back to his old way of life. He's like, ah, whatever, I'm going back to fishing. Jesus comes to find him. He was like, oh, yeah, I was waiting for you, Jesus. I thought you were coming back. No, not at all. Like, he, he had the same outcome in his life as Judas would have had. Judas hung himself, never gave Jesus the chance to forgive him. Peter stuck around a little longer, and Jesus came back and forgave him, and he built that ministry of that church on that meeting he had with Jesus. Jesus is a forgiving, second-chance God. So he has this meeting with his disciples. He brings them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's an awful area, immoral, corrupt, godless area. Let me, let me tell you how bad it was. Good Jewish men did not go to this area. Like they, they went specifically to this cave, the Bible, uh, the Bible it lets us know. And they go to this cave, uh, and in this cave, what they believed in that time was, was, was people would pass from hell or Hades in and out of that cave. Evil spirits would, and so they would worship uh, Satan and just weird gods at this cave. This was not a place that you, you went to. Like, you don't accidentally arrive here, and if you're a, a Christian person or a Bible person or a church person, you just didn't go here. And so Jesus does the exact opposite of what good church people do. I'll find that to be the case many times with Jesus. Like, I firmly believe that if Jesus were to show up here today and, and he would have never died on the cross, this would have been the time that he would come, that we would put him to death as well, many of us. What do you, what do you mean you're not here to take over the United States of America? What, what do you mean you're not here for my political party? What, what, do, you, what do you mean you're, you're, you're not here? What do you mean you're going to Caesarea Philippi? That's not where good Jewish people go. So he takes his disciples. You can just imagine his disciples are like, what do we get ourselves into? And he looks at Peter, and, and, and he has a discussion with Peter, and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, the Bible says. He, he renames Peter, and then he says this, and on this rock, I will build my church. He's, he, two, two purposes. He's saying, Peter, with people like you, I'm going to build my church, and in places like this, I'm going to build my church. With people like you, and in places like this. That's good news for us in America. God is going, with people like you, and in places like this that become godless or immoral or corrupt or are running away from God, with people like you who ran away from God, who God brought back into the mix, who God builds his church around, in places like now, I'll build. But I want you to see this. What does he say? I'll build my church. Here's the problem with so many people. Is when you think about your church, who do you think church it is? I don't, I don't typically say I'm going to Jesus' church today. I don't typically wake up and go, hey, Jesus, listen. like my typical mindset is I'm going to, to my church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go build my church today. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to build my church. And then watch what it says. And the gates of hell will not overcome my church. Listen, if you're going to build your church, there's a chance the gates of hell are going to overcome it. But if you build my church, if you become a part of my church, and he here's the problem. When, when you forget the my, you'll tend to hijack the why. You ever been with somebody who hijacks stuff, like you're in a conversation with them, you're talking about something, and every time you're talking about anything, it always gets the back to be around them. Always. No matter what, you'll be talking about the sky being blue. Let me tell you about my awful day yesterday. It was so blue, right? 
Talk about relationships. They are always, like, they hijack. Okay, some of you are like, wondering over your head. You're like, I don't have anybody like that. You're probably that person. And so anyway, like, it's just, you probably are. And, 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 and so let me just make it more applicable because you ever have kids and you let your kids come in bed with you at nighttime? Like, they get in bed and you're in a king-size bed. You bring, like, a little two-foot-four being into your bed at nighttime. They get in bed and you put them in, the, in between you and your wife or whatever. If you're a single mom, single dad, you put them, they get in bed because they can't sleep at night. And all of a sudden, you're, like, 16 feet away from them in the king-size bed. And an hour later, they're laying sideways or diagonal on your side of the bed they completely hijacked the entire bed like kids don't know how to sleep like normal people grown adults you have your section of the blanket if you're a married person you clearly establish this in a contract here's the line you don't go past it when we're sleeping no 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 married couples that have been married 14 years we don't cuddle we sleep we do our cuddle while we're not sleeping i want to sleep right like i need sleep and so you just don't go past this line this is my amount of covers this is your amount of covers you're some of you married and we're still praying for the grace of god to happen they hijack all the covers but in a good solid christian marriage marriage you both have sides right and your kid gets in and they just completely hijack it like I went I went and tried to turn, close the door in my kids room this today and they all sleep in the same room some nights and so they were all sleeping to get in the rooms one was on the floor they were in beds and, and I look and not one of them was laying right in their bed like not they're like they're like their legs are out they're laying sideways they just hijack everything and, and the problem for many churches is not that that we're we don't have an effective message it's that we've hijacked the message Instead of being about Jesus and saying, this is Jesus' church, and if this is Jesus' church, then we are called to a strategic why. What ends up happening is this is my church, and what happens is when it's my church, you hijack the why. Let me show you really clearly what Jesus said you would do at his church. I mean, it's really simple. You think of church, there's all other things. Like, like very rarely do we get a call from a church person looking from another church, and what they ask is, how good are you at reaching lost people? In fact, I've never got this call, ever. It's never like, hey, we're looking for a place to come serve. You want to give lots of money. Like, I pray that would happen someday. Like, <laughs> want to serve a lot, really want to be, like this, is, like, this is our life. We want to be there every week. We're looking for a church. Do you have a spot for us? Listen, I'll start a campus with you if you call me and do that, right? Like, I, of course I have a spot with you. It's always like, what do you have for my blank? Do you have a midweek blank? How is your potlucks? Right? Like, like what, do you, what do you believe about, like, blank? Like, it's always some random thing. Like, what do you believe about the book of Revelations? What do you think is going to happen? And our answer always lovingly is we have no idea. It's all going to pan out in the end, right? Like, we're a pan theory people. Jesus wins at the end. I'm going to make sure I'm on the right team, right? And listen to what Jesus said, Matthew, we got to keep going. We're going to be here till past one, and you guys are going to be mad at me because the Eagles game is going to start. So. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, because some of y'all are following along in your notes. You're like, he's not even in his points yet. He got 17 minutes. We're going to roll here in a second. Ready? Here, here, here's the why of Jesus' my. Ready? In Luke chapter 19, verse number, number 10, it says, For the Son of Man, that's him, came to seek and save the lost. That's it. The Son of Man came, this is my church, and the gates of hell will not stop my church as long as you become a church that understands it's my and establishes your church on that why, to seek and save that which is lost. In other words, the world, I believe, in this area especially, has yet to see what God can do with the church fully concentrated on that mission. 
We got about seven people, seven percent of our church that's concentrated on that mission right now. Someone say, how do you know? We have seven percent of our church ties. Seven percent. We started four campuses in eight years with seven percent of our church tithing. Seven percent. I mean, seven out of 100 people say, you know what? We are here for the why because this is Jesus' church, and we are here to seek and save that which is lost. And here's the thing. It's expensive to do that. It's expensive to run churches. It's expensive to have programs for your kids. It's expensive to do those type of things. So we want to be part of reaching people. Why? How much is eternity worth? Priceless. Somebody say, how are you spending your money? Well, let me explain to you. This year, 408 people have had their eternities changed in our church. 408 people. Listen, if one person found Jesus in our church, us as a collection would say, okay, we are focused on the why. Why? To seek and save that which is lost. So here's the thing. As we do that, as we seek and save that which is lost, we need to establish some core values. And, and we're going to talk through those for the next five weeks. But the first one I want to talk to you about today is we are a church that is a people church, not preference church. We are a people church, not preference church. Because here's what happens. When you forget the my, and you establish that the church is yours, then you'll hijack the why, and then you will become addicted to the what. Let me explain to you what happens in many people's churches. You start coming to church, you give a couple of dollars, you sit there through a couple of the pastor's long 45-minute sermons, you pay your dues, all of a sudden it becomes your church. And maybe you come to a church because of the what, right? Like, I come to this church because they do worship, and they have, they have lights, and they have haze, and they, and they have screens, and I like the modern feel, and I like how laid back it is, and I like that the pastor, he, he wears jeans that are too tight he shouldn't be wearing, and I like, and I, and, and, and I like that they have coffee, like they have all this stuff, and then this becomes your church, and here's what happens. As the, as the world evolves, and as the world changes, and as, as, as people listen to stuff differently, then all of a sudden, the church needs to change the way they, they speak the message. We don't change the message, but we change the way we speak the message, and what happens is, in 25 years from now, you're still coming, right, and you're still hanging out, and you've been given, and, this is what, and all of a sudden, we stand up here, and we go, this isn't working anymore. Why are you going to change? Because, because the why of our church is to seek and save the lost. And we haven't seen anybody who's lost be found in our church. Yet we're doing the same thing we've been doing for 25 years. And some people in that church that have hijacked the mission, they'll go, you can't change my church. Happens all the time. Walk into some churches that have been the same for the last 40 years. And you walk in and the people have been fighting about changing their church. And they've forgotten the why because they don't understand that is not your church. Why are you there? To seek and save the lost. When's the last time somebody's found Jesus in your presence? I don't know. But have you seen our stained glass windows? Look at these hymnals. They have the name of Sister Susie. She donated them when she died 55 years ago. Look. Aren't they gorgeous in their King James Version lyrics that nobody can read? And listen, I'm not dogging on that because in about 25 years, my kids are going to be coming up. And if we're still doing the same thing, if I'm still walking on a screen up here with words over the band's face and lights going, they're going to say, you guys are dorks. Why? Nobody's been reached. Nobody's coming to church anymore. Nobody's doing it. But this is, this is my church. And this is, this is the why of what we do. It's, it's my church. And so the what, I'm married to it. And you need to understand that our church, we will always be married to the why. We will never be married to the what. 
We are a people, not a preference church. So what's working today might not be working tomorrow. What's working today for us, the music, the skinny jeans, the lights, all that stuff coming in, explaining the message. Man, tomorrow it might be white churches with dudes and girls up here in choir uh, choir robes again, or maybe cowboy hats and chaps or whatever else is happening. But if people are finding Jesus in our presence, then that is why we exist. It's why. The what's not important. And here's the problem. If you only come to church because of the what, eventually you're going to fade out. Something has to happen in your life where you go, here is why I'm here. So we're a people, not a preference church. Let me give you three struggles as we roll through these really quickly. Uh, of, uh, I think that we will, we will struggle with as we, we seek to stay this. And I've seen it in my own life and, I, and I've seen it in my church. I've seen it in my church consistently over the last 10 years. Uh, we're anything but a perfect church, but we are a church that strives to, to do what we're called to do. But here's three struggles uh, that we'll face when it comes to preferences. Number one is this. It, it is a lot of churches, ours included, we struggle with the preference that I hear all that, but I'd rather it be about me. I, I'd rather it be about me. I mean, I mean, I mean think about it. Isn't that the elephant in the room? Most of you probably have come to this church because it's, you feel like it's doing something for you, and that's okay. Like you've come here and you're like, I, I like the music or, 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 or I, like the, I, I, I like the band or I like the kids ministry or I like this. And, and that's typically how somebody arrives. Maybe you're a new person. You come in you're like, I like how laid back it is or I like, I understand what the pastor's talking about or I like this. And, and that's typically how we arrive here. Yet, if you never get past that, you'll be stunned. I mean, think about it. A six-month-old baby that, that constantly says it's about me, because they do, they ruin everything, right? Like, they're just take, 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 take. When do they give? I don't know, 35 years old, something like that. Like, kids just take from you. That's what happens. But it's okay, because they're just babies. So when they say juice or drink or I got a potty every time you go out to eat, or I, like, you guys know, like, you don't ever get to eat a meal in peace. Like, you're okay, because they're a baby. You know what? You know what would be ridiculous, though? If my kids were 18, 19, 20 years old still doing the same thing. Like, nobody's going, it's so cute. I'm going, no, no, man, you, you need counseling. You are a burden on, on everybody. Like, like, but, the, but the same thing happens in churches. You come, and, and what was once cute, okay, this is about me. Okay, I love this worship. Okay, I love the preaching. Oh, I'm getting something out of it. If you don't move past that, you'll be stunted in your, in your growth with Jesus. And, and the truth is, many of us struggle with this. I even see it. I see it in my church all the time. I know certain messages that I preach are going to resonate more with, with, with different people. I know somebody's always listening to the message, but for instance, if I were to stand up here and talk to you about how in the book of Malachi, it talks about tithing, like it, it's, a, it's a big deal, it says you're robbing God when you're not tithing, it, it's a huge ordeal, and, and then it says on the flip side, if you trust me in this, I'll open up the floodgates of heaven. I know some people are going to be listening, but I know a whole bunch of people are like, this ain't for me, even though I know it is, but if I were the next week to talk about worry, fear, anxiety, those kind of things, like that's a home run with people, Right? I can talk about, like, the week before, if you would just do those things, you probably wouldn't have these three other things. Are you with me? But you won't do those, that thing, but so then you want to talk, and I got to talk about worry and fear and the peace of God and all stuff, and, and how God can make a way where there seems to be no way, and he can use what you've done for the third week in a row because you are, you are ignorant or, or, or hard-headed or you just don't want to obey, how he can still get good, do good out of it, and you did something this Friday night, the same thing you did last Friday night, you promised yourself you wouldn't do, and now you're back to doing it, and God can still use it. You're going, I love this message. Why? Because we, we struggle with it all, being all about me. That's just reality. Like, we like stuff that's about us. Think about it. You want a spouse that makes you happy. That's your dream. 
Make me happy. Good luck with that, right? You want coworkers that always ask for your opinion and validate you. You want weather that suits you. Like, like yesterday, that was completely unacceptable, God. <laughs> unacceptable in September. You, you, want, you, 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 want, you, want, you want traffic flow that suits your every need, right? Like if there could be no traffic today, God, that would be good. You, you want those things. Why? Because innately we struggle with the thought that it's always about me. And listen, you're no different because early on in Jesus' ministry, people struggle with this. One time he, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 people with the boy's lunch. A little, little boy had some, some fish and some loaves and he feeds this, this, this crowd. And then the Bible says he's exhausted. And I would be too, feeding 5,000 people, making that multiply, multiply, multiply. And so he, he goes off to the other side of the lake. He comes back the next morning and the crowd is back waiting for him, seeing if he's going to make them steak. Like, listen, it wasn't the fact that they were in the presence of Jesus that impressed them. It was in the fact that he could magically feed them with one meal. And what happened is, instead of becoming addicted to the presence of God, they were addicted to the presence that God could give them. Churches even adopt this. Churches say, you know what? We don't want to be empty, so we'll win people with, with gimmicks. And here's the problem that I found. What you, what you win people with, you keep them with. So if we consistently win people with feeding them free meals and giving them haircuts and babysitting your kids and making sure your kids have a good time and not teaching them that it's not about them and not teaching them that there's a bigger purpose for them and not teaching them that we exist for those not yet, not yet here and not teaching them that it's not all about you, then eventually, guess what happens when they get older? They're stunted in their growth and they end up leaving the church. We struggle with the thought that it, it's better when it's all about me, but the truth is, is you'll be stunned. And so I want, I want to practice saying something, and I want this to be a ma mantra in our church. I, I say it often to my kids because I want them to know the world 100% does not revolve around you. I know this is going to shock you, but I want to look at you as your pastor and tell you the same thing. This church and this world does not revolve around all your problems. In fact, the reason you have so many problems is because you think the world revolves around you. The more you think about yourself, the more problems. Your marriage is in trouble. The more you think about how awful that spouse is and how messed up they are and how if you could just fix them if they would just listen to you, the more you think about that, here's the problem. The more bad it gets because the problem in that marriage is probably you too. So the answer to having a good marriage, the answer to having a good church, the answer to being a good employee or being a good boss is the understanding that it's not about me. Everybody say this with me. Say, it's not. Come on, say it like you believe it. I'm giving you gold right now. Say, it's not about me. Let's, listen, let's say it again. It feels like you're, you have gas inside of you. You're just, blah, you're just burping it up, right? So let's say it again. You know how you get stuff stuck inside of you? Right now you're stuck on yourself. So let's say it again. Say, say it's not about all of our campuses. Me. Oh, it feels good. The thing I'm a part of is bigger than me. The church that I'm called to is, is bigger than me. The mission that God has called me. Listen, one of the best days of your life is you realize the church is the hope of the world. And it is a privilege and an honor for Jesus to knock at the door of your heart and invite you into that plan. And do not miss it. Some of you, he has been knocking on your heart. You've been sitting through church for too long, and he has been knocking and telling you, it's not about you. Stop worrying about yourself. I've put something inside of you that's greater than anything you're facing right now. I've called you to serve. In fact, it says, I need you in this time in history to change people's lives for the kingdom of God, to reach and seek and save that which is lost. Do not miss that moment and walk away for some silly excuse like you don't have enough time. That's the only reason you have time, just so you know. 
The only reason that you are still breathing on this earth is because God wants to work with, work with you and through you. If he didn't, he would take you home to heaven because God knows this place is awful. The only reason. It's not about me. Come on, say it again. Say it's not about me. All right, Andy, you can come up and play for these last two because you're going to help me roll through these. When the piano starts playing, I start wrapping it up. Number two, I'd rather be comfortable. I'd rather be about me. I'd rather be comfortable. Can I tell you with, with, with what I've seen the greatest struggle in all churches are that, 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 that really, they, don't, they want to be used by God, but they, but they don't really want to pay the sacrifice. And, and here it is, is comfort. The difference between your calling and where you're at now is your ability to push off right now comfort at the expense of eternal sacrifice. The, the ability for you to reach the mountain where God has called you to climb is the ability to push off everyday comfort. Many churches, what I see, is they simply are not realizing and reaching God's call for their life. Many people in this church, simply because it takes you out of your comfort zone, and I realize how much I struggle with this. Remember when you first got married, if you're married in this place? You ever see like somebody's wedding pictures, they get married, you're like, they're like, in, they're in shape. I mean, they, they, you knew you're going to have to be, you know, in your birthday suit. I know there's kids listening, and so you're going to have to be in your birthday suit. Some of the kids, what's a birthday suit? Talk to them about it later. And so that's how you were made, just so you know. And so you don't have to, you don't have to, have to be all, all open. And so you get in shape, right? You know, you're gonna, you have one time to impress your, your, your spouse. You have one honeymoon, right? And so you get in shape. And then like a couple years later, maybe like even a year or six months later, like sometimes people will come over to your house after a couple years and look at your wedding pictures and they're like, you look like four people now. Like there's four, <laughs> right? Like I'm not dogging on you. Same thing happened to me. Never happened to Leah. She's always been perfect. But for me, like I got married and like a year and a half later, I had one from like 180 pounds to like 205, some days 210, depending what I had for dinner the night before. I had gained almost 30 pounds in like a year and a half of marriage, but I didn't know and I didn't care, right? So every day I had to wear, I had to wear dress pants. I told you this story before, if you're coming to walk on the church night, I had to wear stress, like dress pants to church and my dress pants started to get really tight. Like I'm talking like, like there was no such thing as skinny, skinny jeans. They were like bell bottoms, but the bell bottoms were like skinny jeans on my legs. Like I, they were tight. In fact, they had gotten so tight that on Sundays, I wouldn't even button my pants. I would put my belt on and I would let the top button uh, unbutton and I would pray, you know, that the zipper didn't come down because I was a children's pastor. I was like, that's not going to be good. And I, they were, they were tight. So one night, before Sunday, I, I went to Coles and I, and I, was, I was like, I got to get new pants, right? Like, my pants are saying, help me, right? Like, so I went, I went to Coles and I got pants and I found this thing. I, I, I found these stretchable, these stretchable dress pants. They had these little elastic expanders made by Dockers, I believe. And I bought like, like 12 pairs. Like, I was like, I bought stock in these pants. I came home, I put them on, and I like started sitting down and moving. And I went to Leah and I was like, Leah, look at these pants. I was like, look, they got these little expanders. I took them off. They got these little expanders. I was like, these are the best pants ever. And she looked at me and she said, you are fat. <laughs> no, I said, you're fat. And I was like, no, I'm not. And she was like, every pair of your pants don't fit you no more. And I was like, so? And she was like, you need to probably take a look at that. Because I have to take a look at you, right? Like, you need to take a look at that. And the truth is, I'd rather in that moment, no, I don't want to be disciplined. I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to stop eating bread. I don't want to stop eating pizza. I don't want to stop eating donuts. I don't want to do that. I got it. But I'll choose this. I'll choose comfort many times at the expense of being discomfortable. 
And listen, to be a people not preference church, it's going to make you really uncomfortable a lot of the time. There's going to be people that come into our church that make you uncomfortable. There's going to be things that we do. We will be an anything short of sin church. Sometimes you're going to get really religious and go, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if that's going to work. I think we should maybe play it safe. Sometimes we're going to start campuses that simply are going to take faith on top of faith on top of faith. We're not going to have money. We're not going to have the people. We're not going to have the time. We're not going to have the staff. But God's going to say, start it. We are a people, not a preference church. We will always, always choose discomfort at God at the expense or the, 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 the price of reaching God's call. We will do anything we can. Don't choose comfort. And, and number three. I think we struggle with the thought, I'd rather be liked. This is a new one for me. You know, the world's changing. I know you've heard your parents tell you that. It's not a newsflash. I don't know if it's getting worse. Because if I look at history in the church, especially because that's, history revolves around the church. If I look at history in the church, it seems to always be, be hard. And there was a time 600 years ago where the Catholic church was burning men and women at the stake for reading the Bible in English common languages and so I don't know there's been a time in American history where, where people of this different races couldn't ride on the same part of a bus so I don't know that it's, it's getting worse as much as it's just bad it's just bad and every, every generation that comes along they have to decide uh, if, the, if they're willing to be unliked at the expense of being a vessel of love so now in our culture uh, for instance there's things that people like about the Bible, and there's things that, that people, people don't like. And what I found is many Christians, at the expense of being showing love because they want to be liked, are starting to treat the Bible like a buffet. I know it says that, and I know it says this is wrong. This behavior is wrong. This, this is not love. You don't get to determine what love is. Because God is love. He tells you what love is. Love is patient. It is kind. It is not envious. It is not self-seeking. How can you tell me it's love when you say, well, I deserve to be loved. That seems like it's self-seeking. No, you deserve to, to love. That's different. It's not about you. So in this culture where people are going to say, I like this, I don't like that, the church is going to have to decide. Are we going to treat the Bible like a buffet? And at the expense of being a voice in a world that's hopeless, at the expense of being a light in darkness, are we going to say, I'd rather be liked? See, I found, I found it to be a struggle in my church. I see people who refuse to stand for, for the truth of God's scripture. Instead, they want to be liked by people outside the church. Do you know what scripture says, just so, so we're clear? It says this in the book of 1 Peter, but it is no shame to suffer, to be unliked for being a Christian. But there is no shame. Why? Here's what we know. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, because there's going to be a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I want you to understand, it's not talking about people outside in the world. It's talking about church people. We don't, we don't judge the world. That's, jo- that's God's job. We judge ourselves. We judge ourselves. Are we addicted to the why? Is this Jesus' church? And listen to what he says. He says, there's going to be a time where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I, I, I love that, and it's true, man. Anything that you want to believe, you can find an article for on the internet. Anything. Sky's been blue for a thousand years, but somebody says it's not purple. Here's the article that proves it. This makes sense. This is the way it should be. This is what the Bible says. But somebody says that's not the way it is anymore. To suit their itching ears, they'll find somebody to tell them it's, it's true. 
but turn your ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Just so you know, that's our job as a church. We are an evangelistic church. We are a church that's reaching people not yet here. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says this, he says, there's going to be a time when people want to be liked instead of loved in the church. You're going to give up being holy for being temporarily happy. You're going to give up purpose at the expense of desiring to make sure people stay in your presence. You're going to, instead of making it your highest goal to hear well done, good and faithful servant, you're going to make it your goal to get likes on Instagram and Facebook. Don't let your greatest amount of influence be on social media with people outside there. Make sure you're a person who stands for the truth even when it hurts. I can promise you this, that I realize that a great church is not a big church. A great church is not a big church. A great church is a church that's focused solely on the mission of Christ. And I can promise you, as your pastor, no matter how much they say it's not right, no matter if they take our 501c3 away, no matter if they make it illegal for me to get paid to be a pastor and whatever other article that I've read that tries to scare and intimidate you that we won't stop proclaiming the truth no matter if they put me in jail or you in jail no matter if they kill me I will, allow, I will want my kids to see me going out as a martyr for Jesus Christ as the Bible says for me to live is Christ for me to die is gain what can you take from me when the only thing you can send me to is eternity what am I losing we will stand for the truth and we will be a church that listen when your friends hit rock bottom going to be here to catch them. We're Journey Church. I'm going to put this online later on during the week, and I want you to put this somewhere on your on your refrigerator or somewhere you can see it in your Bible. Hopefully you read that. Let's put the end of my notes at all of our campuses. We are Journey Church, and we are here to reach the world. We're obsessed with the command of Christ to seek and save the lost with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And hear me loud and clear. 100% we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're all in. We're bold. And we refuse to not be a part of a move of God. I refuse to not be a part in my time on this earth. And I'm 37. It's flashing like this. I refuse to not be a part of an unmistakable, unshakable, never ever going back, changing history move of God. And we can do it, church. We can do it. The Bible says that he said, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. I don't care what they say. I don't care what stats they read. I don't care how negative it is out there. I don't care how pressed. I don't care how hard it is. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And listen, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Will we be that church? We're Journey Church. We exist for the world. Would you stand up with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes at all of our campuses? Would you pray with me all over this house? God, we want to see a move of God. Here's the thing, though. Don't you dare pray that prayer and not be ready to go all in. Don't you dare pray. God, I want to be part of a move of God and not be willing to give your blood, sweat, and tears to it. You have to be all in. Every, every talent you have, all your gifts, all your finances, all your energy, all your time, your family, every thought you have, everything inside of you. I don't read a book in the Bible that's dedicated to the mediocre church. What I see over and over and over again is men and women, ordinary men and women, unschooled men and women, people just like yourself that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ saying, you know what, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? What else am I going to do? I've tried everything else. 
It's in your presence I found purpose. It's in your presence I found a reason to live. And when you come and you knock at the door of my heart and you say, hey man, hey lady, I'm enlisting you in the greatest call you could ever have. The only answer is where else? What else am I going to do? Here I am, God. Send me. We are Journey Church. And we're here for the world. And we refuse to not be part of a move of God. We will not choose comfort. We will not make it about us. We will not build a platform to be liked. We will be a foundational group of people that shares love and hope with this broken world. And when they come to us, we'll be standing here waiting for them. Maybe you're in this place today. And you say, you know what, as we close this service, I don't really have a relationship with God. Some of you say, how do I know I have a relationship with God? Well, it's not about your belief in Him. Some people say, I'm a spiritual person. I, I believe there's a God. I'm not really sure about Him, but I believe there's a God. The, the book of James says, even, even the demons believe that. The demons believe that. It's not what He called you to do. He called you to be fully devoted and follow Him, to become a disciple of Him trust him to obey him so how do you know you're in walk relationship with Jesus Christ is, is at one point in your life you stop trying to be your boss stop trying to live under your authority and in a moment the Bible says that the Bible says that you me that we come to an understanding and a belief that Jesus died on the cross for our sins that he rose from the dead that he did that in our place and that he's calling us to follow him to put our faith our hope and our trust in him there's no such thing as a nominal Christian. There's no such thing as Christian by name. You're a Christian because of your faith. Faith is an action word. It means to trust. I trust God with everything that I have. When he says move, I'll move. In him I have my, and I move and I'm, everything is his. In him. In him. In him alone. So how do you know you're a fully devoted follower of Christ? You invited him into your mess of your life. He's put you back together walk with him, you talk with him, you obey him, you follow him, your life is his. Anything else is unacceptable. You're missing it. My job is to make sure you understand that. I mean, this could be the best day of your life, the day you stop pursuing your, your own life, your own hopes, your own dreams, holding on to your pain, being a victim of your past, living in response to what, what's been done to you, but today... You become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord, no longer living as a victim of your past in response to what people said and did to you. But today, today you live in response to what Jesus did for you on that cross 2,000 years ago, and you become what the Bible says is a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So how do you do that? It starts with a confession and a belief in your heart. Today, I believe in you, God. I believe your son came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. I don't understand it all but I can feel your presence knocking at the door of my heart. I believe in you. I'm confessing you as my Lord and Savior, and I'm making a commitment to you. I'm receiving your love. I'm not earning your love. I'm receiving your love. And God, from this day forward, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with my future. I'm going to trust you with my relationships. I'm going to trust you with my marriage. I'm going to trust you with my kids. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. Maybe that's your decision. I'm not asking if you believe in God. I'm asking you today, do you follow God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you all in? It's the only way to be. It's the only way to be. That you need to be all in today. If you need to take that step, I want to pray with you as we close. But with nobody looking around in this moment, I'm going to ask you to do something at all of our campuses that I believe is life-changing. Just 
step of faith, a step of boldness. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in a second here. And as you put your hand up, I'm going to know that I'm praying with you as we close. Nobody's looking around except for me, except for your campus pastor. God's watching your response. God's here for you. God loves you. And when you begin to pray, the spirit of the living God, that Yahweh, is going to fill your life from the inside out. It's going to change you, make you a brand new person. That's what I believe. This is the first day of the rest of your life. You need to take that step, friend. You need to take that step. Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today, I'm going to trust God. His presence is here. He's knocking at the door of your heart. If you would say that to me all over this house at our other campuses, would you just simply shoot your hand up in the air and say, today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're here in Phoenix, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air at our other campuses. I see a hand right here. Is at our other campuses? Uh, we want you to put your hand up in the air so that they can pray with you as we're closing. Your campus pastor is watching. Today, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Is there anybody else who would say, Pastor, that's me in Phoenixville right here before we move on. Today, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've done life on my own for too long. Today, I'm all in. Today, I'm going all in. I'm going to become part of his church. I'm going to get away from comfort. It's not about me. I'm not worried about being liked because I'm loved. I've been redeemed. I've been bought at a high price. Let's rejoice with Plymouth Meeting as two people are making a decision to follow Jesus. Yes. Yes. Let's pray all over these houses. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for those that raised their hand and for those that didn't. I thank you for this church. Thank you for those that gave today, that served today, that prayed, that fasted, that were here to set up, that have been here long hours. Everything that's happened today has been in the hopes that maybe just one person, one person who was dead, who was, who was dying, who was hopeless, who was broken, would come into your presence. And then you will put them back together through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, right now, they are believing and they are confessing that you are Lord. Not only are they praying, Lord, but they're giving you their life and their actions. Lord, they're going to follow you when they leave this place. Maybe they don't know you well at all, but they're going to begin to hear your voice. Their life is going to begin to change. Their actions are going to begin to change. Their attitude is going to begin to change. Lord, the living God is now breathing and living inside of them. And you're going to walk with them from this day forward, Lord. When the enemy reminds them of their past, they're going to be able to hold on to the truth of your scripture that today, that they're a brand new creation. The old, that's gone. And a new day has come. And I believe that the best days of their life are out in front of them. That today, they've realized that they need a Savior. They've received you as their Lord. And they believe by faith that you have a good work to accomplish in and through their life on this earth. And the promises that they'll meet you one day in eternity. Not because they're a good person, but today because they're a found person. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. It never returns void. In Jesus' name we pray all over our houses. Would you one more time, would you just shout amen with me?